You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Kaspersky loses its court challenge to the U.S. government ban on its products, but says it will appeal. CryptoMix ransomware is out in the wild. Vulnerabilities are found in Singtel routers. Chrome 67 update includes patches. The U.S. Departments of Commerce and Homeland Security address botnets and ask for research. The U.S. Department of Energy plans for resiliency. Twitter takes down tweens. Is there a pack rat at CIA? And have we mentioned reboot your routers? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, May 31st, 2018. Kaspersky's challenge to the U.S. government's ban on its software has failed, with its suits dismissed yesterday by the District Court for the District of Columbia. The company had filed two suits. One claimed under the Administrative Procedure Act harm to Kaspersky's reputation and sales without due process. The other asserted that the National Defense Authorization Act, making the ban a matter of law, amounted to an unconstitutional bill of attainder, inflicting punishment without a judicial trial. On Wednesday, the District of Columbia District Court tossed both suits. U.S. Judge Colleen Collar-Cotelli dismissed Kaspersky's case challenging the U.S. government's ban on the company's products. She found that the NDAA did not impose any recognizable punishment, but rather established a reasonable protective policy justified on national security grounds. While the policy undoubtedly has a negative impact on Kaspersky, it's not punitive, and any such negative impact doesn't outweigh the security reasons that motivated the ban. Kaspersky has expressed both its disappointment and its intent to appeal. Kaspersky isn't the only company to endure difficult times over its perceived closeness to a nation's security and espionage services. Concerns about possible security threats Chinese device manufacturers present remain very much alive in the United States, Canada, and Australia. Huawei and ZTE are most often mentioned in dispatches. Malware Hunter team reports that a new variant of CryptoMix ransomware is circulating in the wild. There's no free decryptor available for it yet, so unfortunately some victims will be tempted to pay the ransom. The best defense against this and other ransomware strains is secure, tested, and used backup. Some organizations, late comers to backup for the most part, continue to pay ransom to get out from under other strains of malware. One such victim is a public school district in Oregon, where the Roseburg schools say they've paid the attackers to regain access to their data. The school district was hit with the ransomware a month ago. What they paid, they haven't said, but they do say they're now taking steps to protect themselves against future infestations. Researchers at New Sky Security have found a vulnerability that affects most routers used by Singtel, Singapore's main internet service provider. Two more misconfigured AWS S3 buckets have been found by security firm Chromtech. They belong to Honda India and are said to have exposed some 50,000 customers' data. The customers who were affected had downloaded Honda Connect, a remote car management app that let drivers not only interact with their Honda smart car, but also to obtain and use online services Honda Car India provides. 
Threat intelligence continues to become an important part of many organizations' security operations, but there's still some confusion on how to get started and how to dial in the right amount and kind of intelligence. Adam Vincent is CEO of ThreatConnect, and he offers his insights. I think that every company out there that has any kind of security wherewithal is starting to think about how to make better decisions across their business, um, and data and intelligence is a, a great way to do that. Uh, why not use intelligence to drive their security program as well? When you interact with folks who are considering threat intelligence, do you find that there are some common misperceptions that they might have? Absolutely. My biggest pet peeve is that um, many people think of intelligence as a, a bunch of data that comes in and something called a feed from the Internet. And uh, that aggregating feeds from the Internet means that they can check the box and say, we're now uh, doing security in an intelligence-driven way. In your mind, what is that transition from, from data to actionable intelligence? We've always had the uh, mentality here that intelligence is something that is created from managing a security program. You know, feeds and other forms of external intelligence were inputs into that process. But overall, the process of making a better decision started with what decisions you need to speed up uh, or make in the first place. And so I think that most companies today that think that a feed is uh, checking the box from an intelligence perspective is on the journey to realizing that they're going to ultimately uh, need to become intelligence driven because that's what the CEO and their boss, the CISO and their peers across the industry are doing. And that type of transition uh, as an industry is, is really exciting and uh, is being uh, communicated as something that is drawing others in uh, and, and ultimately will be the reason why someone goes from thinking a feed is good enough to realizing that intelligence is more than just a feed. It doesn't need to be a very sophisticated government-like uh, capability where you go out and hire a bunch of people and um, those people come from organizations like NSA or the intelligence community. Instead, intelligence is to fuel the decision-making process and to speed up processes that the companies that are looking to employ intelligence are already doing. So, uh, for example, you may have a phishing email process that's riddled with human capabilities today, people doing analysis, uh, people looking at who the emails were sent to, doing some spreadsheets, uh, and ultimately creating a PowerPoint for their boss that helps inform the decision of how phishing emails are affecting the organization. That's a great example of a process that um, could be data-driven and could be automated uh, to the point where we're creating knowledge about phishing and how phishing is affecting the organization. We're disseminating that information and we're even starting to automate the defensive actions we can take that are driven by that newfound intelligence. That's Adam Vincent from ThreatConnect. In patching news, Google's release of Chrome 67 to the stable channel includes fixes for 34 vulnerabilities. The Departments of Commerce and Homeland Security rendered a report required by the May 2017 Executive Order on Cybersecurity yesterday. The report's title, 
enhancing the resilience of the Internet and communications ecosystem against botnets and other automated distributed threats, fairly expresses its contents. The recommendations include aspirations for the government to lead by example and to seek public-private partnerships that will build resistance to botnets into devices under development. Manufacturers are expected to play an important part in driving down device vulnerability to bot herding. Commerce and DHS call not only for government direction of research into this kind of resilience, but also for funding that would support the R&D. Another department has also reported, in accordance with the executive order, the Department of Energy has released its multi-year plan for energy sector cybersecurity. The plan gives pride of place to the Department's Office of Cybersecurity, Energy Security, and Emergency Response, established this February. It also outlines three overarching goals. They are strengthen energy sector cybersecurity preparedness, coordinate incident response and recovery, and accelerate game-changing research, development, and demonstration of resilient delivery systems. Like everyone else, energy is interested in greater resiliency. Content moderation continues to trouble social media platforms. Twitter is the latest with a policy designed to get a handle on such problems. In this case, it's the problematic status of underage users. If your date of birth suggests you joined Twitter before you turned 13, kids... Twitter is shutting you down. It is a GDPR compliance issue, and it doesn't matter how old you are now. Twitter doesn't want to be placed in a position of sorting out under 13 from over 13 tweets. If you are now of age yet find yourself having been booted from Twitter, you can arrange for a new account for yourself. Is there something about work and intelligence that either attracts pack rats or disposes people in the business to act like pack rats? Another case would seem to suggest so. You'll remember former NSA contractor Hal Martin, whom the FBI said kept scads of highly classified stuff from work in his shed at home. This time it's a CIA contractor and another resident of the Old Line State. Reynaldo Regis has entered a plea of guilty to charges related to his having kept notebooks of things he saw while working at the agency between 2006 and 2016. In Regis's case, he also seems to have been curious, accessing lots of material that had little or nothing to do with his job. He's out on bond, having surrendered his passport, and promised to stay close to his Maryland home. He'll be sentenced in September and could face up to five years in prison. So, another question. What's up with insider threat programs? What are they looking at? And does no one look at briefcases and other things people carry out of Langley? Finally, if you haven't rebooted your router against VPN filter, well, why not? If you don't trust advice from the FBI, maybe you'll accept it from Vietnam's Ministry of Information and Telecommunications, Authority of Information Security. Yes, Vietnamese authorities say that devices in that country have turned up with VPN filter infections, and they offer their users the same advice the Bureau gave everyone in the U.S. Reboot your routers. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO at Dragos. Robert, welcome back. Um, you all recently published uh, some reports looking back on 2017. I wanted to take the opportunity to uh, look at those and uh, talk about what you found. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we did a Dragos year in review of 2017 across three different sections. And so really mapped to our intelligence team and our threat operations center. We had um, a report on the vulnerabilities, a report on the threat activity groups, and a report on lessons learned across hunting and responding. Um, so the reports were, were a very strong approach to let's look at the actual numbers. Let's look at the actual findings and have have this approach uh, around them. Um, so, so some of the key things we found that I thought was interesting um, on vulnerabilities, as an example, um, one, there's always been a myth in the community that most of the vulnerabilities we see uh, are from free products and things that have trials and uh, you know, other things that you can just download and that really there's so many of these hidden vulnerabilities because nobody can access the paid stuff. Uh, we found that a significant majority of all of the vulnerabilities released were actually from products and software that had no free version available or no trial version available. Hmm. So I completely destroyed that myth. Um, the second thing that I thought was really interesting from the vulnerabilities report is that 64% of all of the vulnerabilities released, um, if, the, if you would have went and patched that vulnerability, it wouldn't have reduced any risk. That the vulnerability itself was only granting to an adversary functionality that was already available on the system. Like, hey, if you exploit this vulnerability, you get root permissions, except you're already running in root permissions on that device because of the way that it runs. Hmm. You know, some, in other words, a useless vulnerability which means that about 64% of the patching done in the community is completely wasted resources. Uh, not saying don't patch, it's just we should be patching smartly. Um, the third thing that I thought was really interesting is is 75% of all the releases, 75% of all the public vulnerabilities for industrial control systems were wrong. They were talking about the wrong product, talking about the wrong service, talking around the wrong uh, vulnerability, just absolutely wrong. And uh, that means we've got a lot of work to do. Uh, what, do you want... mean, what do you mean by wrong? Are you mistaken? Uh, or, you, or... 
just completely wrong. Like, hey, uh, go patch this vulnerability because um, this is the vulnerability that exists the adversary could take advantage of on this product. And something about that statement would be wrong. Like it's the wrong product in the advisory or it's the wrong vulnerability or that's not actually what you do with the vulnerability or it says, hey, this vulnerability can, you know, can cause a denial of service, but it doesn't. It might give you escalated privileges, just completely inaccurate reports. Hmm. I mean, it's it's an astounding finding. So that's number one. I mean, we actually saw this happen. We I don't want to get too much in the details. We saw an adversary try to take advantage of a vulnerability and they read the advisory, obviously, and did what the advisory said to take advantage of the vulnerability. And it was wrong. And they screwed up in the attack. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 kind of funny, but but that sucks for defenders as it's well. It's an inadvertent win, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, we shouldn't be doing that. And we don't want to run deception operations against our own community. Right. Um, OK, so that was that was the vulnerabilities and the threat activity groups. It was here about uh, individual attacks, but there were groups specifically targeted towards industrial in a way that we've never seen before. There's always been like one or two a year, but in 2017, there were five. Um, And I'm not talking about the larger. I mean, there's dozens and I think there's something like 30 something that gets tracked in the community of teams that that run campaigns against infrastructure companies, but not industrial control systems specific. So we found that there were, were five teams that were specifically targeting industrial control systems, uh, which is a large escalation from what we've seen over the previous years. Hmm. And and in the hunting and responding reports, you know, there's a consistent myth that spear phishing is the number one way into industrial control system environments. And, and I've long positioned that's probably not accurate. It's just because all of our collection and tools and teams are in the IT environment. So that's where they see it. And so we looked back at all the cases of hunting and responding and incident response work that our, our team did over the past year and found that, yeah, actually, that's not true. Uh, one of the it's, it, it is a big infection vector. But the number one that we saw was actually VPN compromises directly into the ICS. Hmm. Um, so it's just interesting to see what's going on. But I think another big key finding of that report was that companies were engaging with are significantly maturing uh, in their their security practices. We were very pleased and, and very optimistic um, in our in our view of the industry. And it's a little bit of a collection bias because obviously the people that are coming to talk to us anyways might already be a little bit more mature. Hmm. But but we were surprised even in that of the level of maturity of these companies uh, and what they're doing for security. All right. It's interesting stuff. Uh, check it out. It's on the Dragos website, a qualitative view of 2017. Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.